Hello. Hello. And Hello. And welcome to Grace Online. We're really excited for you to be able to receive an encouraging word from Scripture today. Because we know that God is already here and He is ready to be with you. And let's get ready to hear today's message. Americans spend approximately 37 billion hours each year waiting in line. Waiting in daily life is an inevitable and often tiresome experience. We're waiting on hold during phone calls trying to make an appointment. We stand in line waiting to pay for items in a grocery store. We place an order for food on Grubhub or buy something on Amazon and then we wait for our item to arrive. We wait for someone to call or text us back or answer that email. We wait for test results to return from our doctor. We wait for authorization from our insurance company to have a needed procedure, repair, or medical surgery done. And in the year 2020, our requirement to wait has been taken to new levels. We're all waiting for herd immunity or a proven vaccine before the threat of COVID-19. We're waiting, all of us, for when our regular routines can resume fully, being back in a classroom or in the office, going to a concert or a sporting event, seeing and interacting next to each other rather than six feet apart in a worship service. We're waiting to be fully reunited with our family and friends, seeing our aging parents, visiting relatives in other states, or perhaps even holding our first grandchild rather than looking at him or her from afar. We're waiting to hear back from any of the multitude of inquiries we've made looking for a job in this economy. We're waiting to discover the outcome of the upcoming election and how our lives will change, depending on who comes into office and which propositions are passed. Despite our best efforts, and we do try to resist, much of our lives are spent waiting. And it's into this reality that our passage from the letter of James speaks today. Waiting. And as we're about to hear, for James, waiting is not just a given. Waiting is a spiritual imperative. Waiting is not just an activity in which we must all engage. How we wait for James is an expression of our faith in Christ. So let's hear it from James chapter 5, verses 5 through 11. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard the Job of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Waiting is the theme for today. And just in case we missed it, James' prescription for all our waiting, particularly our spiritual waiting, is patience. Patience? Are you kidding me, James? Really? Last week, we talked about money, and now we're talking about patience? 
These are not the kind of topics that draw a crowd for a sermon, either online or in person. I mean, how many of us, how many of you are fed up up to here with having to be patient these days? How many of us have even said, I am not the most patient person. Pastor Chris is not the most patient person. We say it like that's the way it's always going to be for us, that we will never be patient. But James instructs us otherwise. Be patient, he writes. Then, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. James acknowledges that we find ourselves more often than not in waiting mode, not just in the smaller day-to-day moments, but in terms of the bigger picture of life. And as Christians, we believe, we know, the work of the cross and the resurrection are finished. Jesus has died for all humanity and has forgiven all sins. Jesus has been raised from the grave, amen, hallelujah, and conquered death for all who follow him. In one sense, our salvation and the redemption of all creation is already accomplished. But in another sense, its full realization lies in our future. The work of Pentecost, the call of the Great Commission, remain ongoing. Everyone does not know, has not heard, has not witnessed the truth of the gospel of Christ. And we who have heard, who both know and believe, still remain works in progress. Reformed sinners who, by the grace of God, are becoming saints in Christ. The kingdom of God has indeed reclaimed this broken world of ours, but all creation, like all humanity, is in the gradual but assured process of its redemption. Our new life and the world to come are not in a holding pattern. No, both continue to move forward. Absolutely. But in terms of asking, are we there yet? The answer is no. And so, even as we and creation's reclamation progress, we must wait. And in our waiting, James calls us to be patient. Which begs the question, what does James mean by patience? The word, if you noticed, used four times in our passage, means to endure or uh, to be steadfast. More specifically, the original Greek word means to be slow to anger. So putting these two ideas together, a patient person is someone who endures or remains steadfast under the pressure of unwanted or unpleasant situations by accepting such situations without acting out in anger. Being patient is an alternative to the life of grasping and exploitation that last week James condemned the rich and wealthy for living in verses 1 through 6. The character and the quality of being patient, however, is best taught by illustration. And so James offers us in this passage three specific examples of patience, that of a farmer, of the biblical prophets, and of the biblical figure Job. Now first, James invokes the patience of a farmer. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, James writes. His illustration takes us from the autumn all the way to the summer. The autumn and spring rain that James mentions actually refers to the general weather patterns in the land of Israel. The early rain softened the ground and the later rain created the lush growth for a rich harvest. The time frame that we're talking about here is about eight to nine months And due to the nature of how crops grow, therefore, the farmer must be patient, waiting, waiting. I mean, if you think about it, the picture of an impatient farmer would be somewhat ridiculous, right? I mean, because no true farmer would plant his seeds one day and then expect to harvest the next. 
No sincere farmer would angrily call the seed company and demand his or her money back because of not getting an immediate harvest. (laughs) No real farmer would angrily plow under the first growth of seedlings because nothing broke through the soil on the first day, the first week, or even the first month. No, farmers learn to be patient. And being patient for a farmer doesn't just mean waiting and doing nothing. No, James highlights the fact that farmers learn to distinguish between what they can control and what they cannot control. Farmers can control certain aspects of the planting, such as when and how to plant, and certain parts of cultivation, such as weeding the crops. But then... There are other essential parts of a fruitful harvest over which a farmer has no control, but still remain essential, such as when it will rain and when it will not. Waiting and being patient for a farmer means to be about his or her business, to honor God by continuing to work on what he or she as the farmer can control. But at the same time, it is also to trust God with what he or she cannot control, trusting that in God's timing, the rain will come. The ground will be watered, the seeds will sprout, and trusting the value of an abundant harvest will be worth the wait. Farmers learn how to wait, to be patient, thanks to the rhythm of the seasons. But we, you and I, we have crafted, we have become an instant gratification society. Fruit for us, vegetables are never out of season because we can just have it flown in from somewhere else, right? And this, in many ways, is reflective of our impatience, our refusal to wait if we can avoid it. We pride ourselves. We pride ourselves on our ability to get whatever we want whenever we want it. And yet, despite all our advancements and accelerations, when it comes to the things we cannot control or manipulate, God still takes his sweet time and continues to work according to his schedule and not ours. There are just some things, one might argue even the best things in life, that we have to wait for, that we need to learn and to practice how to be patient for. And James is encouraging us to learn and to practice being patient like a farmer, being attentive and diligent in focusing and working on the things we can control, but trusting and waiting on God's timing for all the things beyond our control. Being patient, waiting on the Lord is not sitting around twiddling our thumbs. It is rather a choice, a posture of faith. Hence, the second example of patience that James points us to are the biblical prophets, the prophets of the Old Testament. The prophets of the Old Testament, you might remember, were chosen to be God's voice to the people of Israel and sometimes other nations. Their message from the Lord usually was twofold, a warning of judgment and a call for repentance, and a promise for the future based on an assurance of God's fidelity. James doesn't tell us which prophets he has in mind because the one thing all these prophets had in common was this. They suffered because of the truth they proclaimed in speaking God's word in their generation. They could have avoided the hostility and the persecution they endured if they had been willing to tell the people what the people wanted to hear instead of what God insisted the people needed to hear. Something worth remembering also about the prophets, say like Isaiah or Jeremiah or Amos or Hosea, is this. The prophets, in delivering their message, they had to wait and to, to wait and see the realization of their word from the Lord being played out. For many of the prophets of the Old Testament, they rarely, if ever, got to see the end of the story. 
So James, therefore, provides them as a specific kind of patience, one of perseverance, as he uses that word, of waiting by standing firm no matter what the circumstances. Now, because we don't like to wait, we can talk ourselves into all kinds of things, you know, small but significant betrayals of our relationship with God, you know, for the sake of getting things done. In feeding our growing impatience for things to change, we will hold our nose and close our eyes as we support and even endorse leaders and policies that we know contradict the way of Jesus. But being patient like a prophet is different. Being patient like a prophet is to be patient both with God and for God. It is to wait upon the Lord obediently and not to compromise for the sake of expediency. It is to wait for God obediently and to remain immovable no matter what changes in your world. It is even to suffer in patiently waiting in the name of what is right and of what is just, instead of convincing ourselves that saying and doing what is right and what is just will just have to wait until later. But make no mistake, waiting on the Lord is not remaining silent, not remaining silent in despair while we suffer. It is speaking up. It is speaking out confidently, continuing to place our hope in the Lord. And that leads us to James's third and final example of what it means to be patient, the example of Job. Now, if we recall his story, Job might seem at first to be a questionable example for James to bring up. I mean, after losing all his property, his children, and his health, Job lamented the day of his birth. He complained that he deserved none of this, and he demanded that God explain himself. So why exactly is Job a good example of patience? Why do we have that expression, he or she has the patience of Job? What's that all about? It comes down to this. Job is a good example of waiting on the Lord for the simple reason that Job keeps going. That Job doesn't give up. Despite all that happens to him, despite all his friends basically telling him it's all his fault, despite Job's own wife questioning him, saying, do you remember when his wife said, do you still hold fast to your, your integrity? Curse God and die. Despite all these things, Job didn't give up. He continued to wait upon the Lord. He didn't remain silent as he waited. If you've read the book of Job, Job does not remain silent. Job kept speaking up and speaking out. But Job didn't curse or blame God. For 42 long chapters, Job continued to hope in God's purpose that his Redeemer lives. Job didn't know how long he might wait, but he firmly and patiently believed God himself would show up, and he did. And James points out what we should learn from Job's steadfastness. He writes, You have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. The end of the story, Job's life and prosperity are restored, and many people have a problem with that. But that's not the point of the story. It's not the point of Job is not good things come to those who wait. No. Job's patience, his waiting upon the Lord, leads Job coming to know, drawing closer to the person and the character of God in a deeper sense, in a way he never had before. And so Job's example teaches us that patience is needed, especially when life is hard and when the whole world seems to be against us. Job's example reveals that those are the times when waiting on the Lord and not giving up are not only the most critical, but also the most formative in our relationship with God, as like Job, we will come to know and trust the Lord more deeply. 
My friends, being patient means waiting on the Lord. And as we learn from James's three examples, waiting on the Lord is not a wait and see attitude. It's working on what the Lord has given us to do and trusting the Lord to take care of the rest. Waiting on the Lord is not taking matters into our own hands in the name of God. It is faithfully relying and repeating back the word God has given to us, honoring and not selling short the promises the Lord has made. Waiting on the Lord is not mere human optimism, believing in ourselves when the going gets tough, but otherwise cursing and blaming God. No, it is speaking up and speaking out, not in defiance, but in hope, being unrelenting and waiting for the Lord to show up. This is what James means when he calls us to be patient. And as a further clarification in this passage, James also tells us something we must avoid in all our waiting. And what we must avoid in the politics of patience is grumbling. Waiting on and trusting in the Lord are evidenced through appropriate speech. Therefore, James tells us in all our waiting not to grumble against one another. What is grumbling? What is grumbling? Grumbling, simply put, is a form of impatience. Grumbling is taking the groans of our shared waiting. Grumbling is taking the pain, our yearning in this life, that the world is not the way it's supposed to be, and taking those groans and focusing them, turning them on each other. Grumbling is complaining. It's zinging people. It's griping. It's always finding fault. Grumbling is a seed born of our impatience, and it is terrible and toxic. When we are being impatient, it sours our whole attitude, and such a soured attitude inevitably gets directed to all of our surrounding relationships. Impatience with our circumstances begins by our impatience with God. And a hasty, impatient spirit, trust me, is not born of the Holy Spirit. A hasty, impatient spirit is a form of pride. It's human arrogance that imagines we know better than God. Impatience leads to sin. It leads to trouble as we then take matters into our own hands and then complain and speak evil against each other all over what we can't control. And eventually, inevitably, our impatience with God turns to an object. Somewhere we can dump our fears, our frustrations, and our bitterness. In other words, impatience with God leads to impatience with God's people. And so we grumble about our neighbor. We grumble about our boss. We grumble about our coworker. We grumble about our spouse. We grumble about our kids. We grumble about our parents. We grumble about our pastor. We grumble about our elected officials. We grumble about anyone in our direct line of sight. But grumbling doesn't help. Grumbling doesn't advance our lives or anybody else's. No. Our impatience expressed through grumbling destroys community. Just ask the Israelites who wandered in the wilderness until they were dead. Grumbling has shattered many a team, many a marriage, many a family, many a neighborhood. Grumbling has shattered many a church. And in the age of COVID-19, all of our grumbling born of our impatience threatens to irrevocably fracture both our country and our world. We are quickly becoming a nation of whiners a people refusing to be patient any longer, refusing to stand in solidarity in our shared suffering in the midst of this global pandemic, unwilling to wait for each other in safely facing and overcoming this virus together. But notice, James doesn't say to try to avoid grumbling. 
James writes, don't grumble against one another or you will be judged. This is serious. God is watching people. God is listening as in our impatience, our refusal to wait any longer. We demand our rights, but take no responsibility for our behaviors. Grumbling can become addictive. Grumbling can become our default. Therefore, how can we ever stop grumbling? If we want to curb our grumbling, if we want to learn how to be patient, then we need to remember and to reflect on how patient God is with us. God is patient with us, even though we are not patient with him, even though we are not patient with ourselves, even though we are not patient with each other. Going back to the legacy of the prophets, think about that. Over and over and over, the Lord sent messengers when we as his people turned our backs on him. God came down personally in Jesus Christ, not to condemn us, but to patiently lead us back home to him. And the Lord has extended to us, given us his own spirit as he patiently waits, as we take two steps forward and then three steps back in being his body, in representing and sharing his gospel and his grace with others. My friends, how many times have you turned your back on God? And now ask yourself, how many times has God turned his back on you? How many times has God grumbled against you? If anyone has a right to grumble, complain, or find fault in me, in us, you and I have given the Lord plenty of opportunities. James is challenging us to be patient, to be slow in anger with others, like the Lord is patient, slow to anger with us. Beloved, we grumble when we lose perspective. Notice that James mentions the coming of the Lord twice in this passage as he calls us to be patient. Specifically in verse 8, he encourages us to be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. You see, for James, waiting on the Lord is possible because we know the end of the story, that the Lord is soon returning, that Jesus is coming back to finish what he started. We are to be patient until Christ returns, after which we will no longer have need of patience because all things will be made new. All of our waiting will be over. Everything will be reconciled once and for all. Every wrong will be made right. Every tear will be wiped away. There will be no more crying or pain or death. However, between now and then, as we face minor inconveniences, sometimes major setbacks, or possibly even occasional significant evils, we need to be patient by waiting upon the Lord. But how? How can we keep this perspective? How can we not lose it and grow impatient in our waiting? Well, first and foremost, we need to recognize and understand the kind of patience James is inviting us to have is not humanly possible on our own. No. We are in the mess that we are in because of our impatience. From the very beginning and onward since, our refusal to wait upon the Lord, that's why we are where we are. Spiritual patience is not our default. Broken and self-divorced as we are from God. On our own, in our sin, our default tendency before intolerable situations, before repeated mistreatment and or the occasional misunderstanding, our default response is to take matters into our own hands, to try to seize control of the situation, often through manipulation, sometimes through retaliation, and again, if we're unsuccessful, always ending up bitterly grumbling. The patience James is calling us to embrace here is beyond us. It is a holy attitude. 
It is a supernatural gift of the Spirit. True patience is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Equipping us to navigate this old world by waiting upon the Lord is one of the key aspects of the Spirit's work in our lives. We cannot achieve true patience on our own. It is part of the fruit of the Spirit. And that term, we often say fruits, and that's wrong. The fruit of the Spirit is a collective noun. And this fruit that includes the cultivation of patience is what happens when the Spirit controls a person's life. Abiding in the Word and the Spirit is how we begin to learn to acquire the ability to be patient, to wait upon the Lord. We abide in this way, in the Word and the Spirit, by remembering that God keeps His promises. Patience, waiting upon the Lord, is rooted in God's covenant faithfulness. Knowing God keeps His promises helps us to be patient, to wait upon Him. And both the Word and the Spirit will prompt us of this remembrance. But we have to remember it. We have to celebrate whenever we catch glimpses, both big and small, of the Lord's faithfulness in our lives. That's why we regularly participate in worship. That's why you need to tune in every week or be here every Sunday, so you won't lose this perspective. That's why we gather to lay all our grumbling down before the foot of the cross and the promise of the resurrection. That's why we gather together for worship, to take a moment to stop all our griping and to count our blessings, to taste and see the grace of God at work in our lives and in this world. Learning to be patient is a time of growing as we wait. It's not some state of being where we just try to grin and bear it in order to make it through. We grow as we wait upon the Lord by not holding back, but by bringing our doubts and our questions to God, daring to wrestle with Him because we believe, we know, we trust the Lord is the only one who can help, who can save us. We grow as we wait upon the Lord, as we gain the capacity to suspend judgment, to live with unresolved problems and relationships, to stop trying to impose quick fixes on messy situations, and instead to draw our strength and resolve from living in the light of God's wisdom, God's judgment, God's salvation. We grow as we wait upon the Lord, as we gradually learn that we don't have to force events into a situation favorable to us. We don't have to manipulate relationships in order to get what we think we want. But instead, we learn to recognize that everything God wills does come to pass. That the Lord provides, not necessarily and thankfully what we want, but always what we need. Biblically, Waiting is not just waiting for God to do something. Biblically, waiting is for God himself. In other words, our hope is founded upon the character of God. And that kind of hope is not tentative. It's guaranteed. Waiting may not be easy. It's not. But scripture promises again and again that God is present even in our waiting and he will strengthen us to hope and to trust. The beautiful words of Isaiah come to mind. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Being patient, waiting, is not our instinctive or even our preferred disposition. When patience is forced upon us and then later when all is said and done, the question that often gets asked is, was it worth the wait? <laughs> My brothers and sisters, 
when it comes to what the Lord has for us, what God is working out in our lives and in all creation, James wants us to understand that it is worth waiting for. When life is overwhelming, when the world seems out of control, it is easy to lose perspective. Uncertainty in all its ways can push us to wait impatiently or hopelessly or perhaps with an angry or complaining spirit, you know, piling on, overthinking things, feeling sorry for ourselves and or looking for someone to blame. But grumbling doesn't help. It divides us. It ultimately conquers us. The Word and the Spirit of God offer us a different possibility and posture. One of gaining patience as we learn to wait upon the Lord. Therefore, beloved, let us stand firm in the Lord, recognizing Jesus is the author of our story, and he has already delivered the ending we want, an ending that is an eternal beginning. Beloved, let us look forward with hope, resting in the absolute certainty that our Father always keeps his promises, that nothing on earth or in heaven or hell can prevent him from doing so and that all the Lord has in store for us will indeed be fully worth the wait. Amen. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org.